Love Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good evening uh, to those of you here in the United States, uh, and definitely to those of you in Europe, and I guess good morning to the people in Australia. Um, getting to know the time zone in Australia was confusing, but uh, I think I managed to figure it out. I, I can't remember what time it would be for you guys, but I guess it's somewhere between 10 a.m. and noon, depending on where you are. Um, so... In any case, uh, welcome to this edition of V Radio. Tonight, my guest is Ben Stewart, the filmmaker and activist uh, from the film's Chimatica Esoteric Agenda, who's also working on some new projects. Um, I actually just had to answer a question about this recently. Uh, somebody said, you know, I like those films, but there was no movement for them. And I said, actually, there is. It's called The Hanged Man Project. So <laughs> um now, uh, Ben, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. You never know when somebody hasn't heard of you. Well, uh, thank you very much for that intro. Um, I've uh, basically I've made two documentary films. That's um, what the uh, pretty much what, what the Hangman Project has come out of. Um, I released my first one, Esoteric Agenda, in 2000, uh, 2008. Then in 2009, I released uh, Chimatica. So those are the two documentaries I put out, and that's really, I guess, the um, you know the internet ego that um, that kind of created all of this. But what the Hangman Project is is uh, moving forward a little bit more. I wouldn't necessarily even call it a movement. It's really just um, is the reason why I called it a project is because it seemed more like a, an art project than anything. Because this is just a very comfortable place for people to be able to come who have deeper questions than just, you know, the political, the economic, uh, the, the societal questions, you know, deeper into the self. So I figured um, to have a really comfortable spot, forums, um, you know, literature, information, and also setting up events for people to be able to get together and act as a community, act as, you know, instead of just an Internet-based community, which, is, you know, which I find to be absolutely amazing, but to actually get people out in their own communities and, and making relationships and, you know, understanding what's actually going in the world by experiencing it, uh, experiencing it, not by, you know, checking out the, the news on the Internet or the news on television. So um, basically, but uh, the, the very next film that I'm going to be putting out is about uh, a friend of mine, Robert Paget, up in Canada, who had declared himself sovereign and removed himself from the, uh, the system up there and uh, does not drive with the driver's license, doesn't pay taxes, doesn't uh, use you know building permits or anything along those lines, but for a very interpersonal reason, very um, you know w- within himself he had to find what being a sovereign truly meant within before he could declare it uh, without, and every you know all the steps that he's taken from there is kind of uh, what um, the stories that you're going to hear in this next film should be coming out next month, so. Still, uh, still no title for that yet. Um, there's a couple working titles right now, but uh, still nothing rock solid. But that's all going to be announced within the next uh, few um, few weeks, I would imagine. Well, that's awesome. When that happens, be sure to let me know, and I'll announce it on a V Radio episode. Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, you'll you'll definitely hear about it. I'll definitely be in touch. All right, that's great. Um, now, uh, you also have a band. Uh, you want to go ahead and talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, I'll mention it very briefly. Um, I, I kind of like keeping that uh, separate to an extent from uh, what I do with the documentaries and the Hangman Project, even though the the band does actually support the Hangman Project, and when we tour, we are you know touring in support of the Hangman Project. I do like to keep them separated a bit, but sure. um, Hyrosonic is the band name. It's H-I-E-R-O-S-O-N-I-C, and um, you know we we have a lot of things you know coming up this year. We're going to be touring. Uh, South America with any luck uh, towards the end of the year, a lot through the states coming up this year, and we're releasing an album. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of leave that to if if anybody has any interest in in the band side of things, you can contact me on Facebook or uh, Talismanic Idols um, at Gmail dot com. You can contact me and I'll answer any questions um, about the band side of things. It's definitely very interesting and it's my own personal art. Um, but as far as the Hangman Project, it's a little bit more. Um, a little bit more vague as to the the art that goes into the Hangman Project. Right. Well, yeah, I just kind of wanted to mention it. I know that you know you and I have been talking about planning an, an upcoming episode of E Radio that's focused specifically on the band, so we can get most of the questions out of the way for that at that yeah, time. Absolutely. I just 
Um, but yeah, in any case, uh, yeah, just for the sake of the listeners, I have listened to this music and now I'm listening to it on a regular basis. It's great stuff and it's good for people who are thinking along the lines that we are as well. I like a lot of the lyrics and stuff, but you know, we'll get into that later. Now, so your next film, as you were saying, is about the free man on the land movement, essentially. Um, in, in, a, in a sense, yeah. I, I don't really use that um, that title. I don't even actually use uh, – I try not to use the word sovereign too much because a lot of these words are, are quite loaded. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very, very similar um, in a very basic sense. It's The film is – exposing i guess what the what the the truest definition that i could or my friend rob who the film is on that we could find of what a sovereign or what being sovereign or what sovereignty truly means so it's actually i mean it's quite interesting because there's a a, a huge exploration within the movie on what freedom truly is aside from the word freedom aside from the idea you know the images that pop into our head when we hear the word freedom um, aside from all of that, what it means within us, emotional freedom. You know, I mean, we can say that, and we've heard of things like emotional freedom, or we've heard of, you know, psychological freedom, um, you know, freedom from addictions. We've heard of these things, but to actually understand and know where that comes from within to become free when, you know, previously you were not, to actually release that barrier or, you know, break through that barrier or release those fetters, um, that's kind of what the film explores a little bit more than the legal side. And I want to make that clear um, just, just for the specific fact that I have a lot of people emailing me asking specific steps of becoming a sovereign. Right. And, and that's great. And I absolutely, I, you know, I love answering those questions, you know, even though most of the times I have to say, you know, you're going to have to do some research on your own because I'm not an expert on it. You know, I've, I've done a lot, a lot of research over the past few years on it. And I know how my friend Rob has done it. Uh, I've seen him go through the process of, you know, the court cases and being pulled over uh, by by city police and and the way he's dealt with it. But the reason why I try not to go too deep into details of how you were to become a sovereign is because it's different for everyone. And I try and drive home the point actually in the film that you can you can release your you know uh, you can dissolve your contracts with with your job, with the government, with uh, any corporation, any contract you have, you can release all those contracts. To me, that doesn't necessarily make you sovereign because when I think of sovereignty, I think of it in a sense, I relate that to my life. And in my life, I've experienced those very detailed, very you know, material contractual obligations, but I've also felt um, you know things that you know doesn't really reach the material level. It's it's more on an emotional or psychological sense because I find that to be far more interesting. You know, as I've seen people win the lottery, make millions of dollars, and then commit suicide directly after because they, they something's not computing. They you know they figured they would find happiness with abundance of money. You know because money is supposed to represent opportunity. You know being able to. Uh, find any luxury or comfort or necessity in your life with ease and not not even having to worry about down the line. Well, why do all these people who have won millions of dollars immediately after, you know, find no real true value in their lives and end it? Or those who find a great amount of depression or those who try to spend it as quickly as possible in a sense to get back to the old life that they've had. And that's emotional freedom. That's psychological freedom when you know, so something that profound in your life doesn't change the core of who you are. So that's pretty much what this film is about. But yes, I do actually get into some of the steps of how to dissolve those contracts through, um, you know, affidavits, uh, letter of understanding and intent, um, uh, claim of right, all those types of, um, those are just titles of documents that you can send into the corporate agencies to relieve yourself of those contracts. But Again, the the bulk of the film is getting into how we relieve ourselves from the guilt, from the you know the bullshit, all the junk, the emotional garbage in our lives. How do we relieve ourselves of that? Because no contract can do that for us. You know that's very true, and I actually talk about this in because of my own work with my upcoming documentary, the Troll Film, that you were mm -hmm. gracious enough to tell me you'll be in, which is going to be awesome. Um, it's just that in many cases, people don't also recognize that their freedom is the ability to recognize propaganda and 
not allow it to affect their minds. It's like freedom of your minds is to be able to recognize when somebody's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. You know, and there are so many people like that's something actually that you said in your Hanged Man Project Fourth um, of July address that I still listen to every now and then because it was a great speech. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was it was the fact that there were people we we were liberated physically in the uh, United States Revolution, but people were not of the correct mentality to actually be free, and so we end up with a constitution that just created a plutocracy pretending to be a democracy, and, and we never really were free. We don't have the right mentality to be free. You know, we don't recognize how easily uh, media and things along that line manipulate us. And I think, you know, um, that's something that your first two films, I think, helped to illuminate was that people don't recognize, you know, how uh, how they are impacted by, you know, the, the elite, you know, trying to stay on top of everything. Um, you know, so basically, overall, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. Now, you said you were also going to be making yet another film after that. What, what's that one going to be about? Well, that one, I still don't have a specific um, uh, storyboard for that one. I, I know the general idea that it's going to go, and it's definitely going to be going in, this, in the uh, direction of shamanism. Hmm. And shamanism in the form of art. Now, uh, again, a lot of these words that I use, I try to be very careful with um, using specific words that carry a lot of... Uh, um, you know, a lot of notoriety within certain people's lives, you know, a, a huge amount of energy, such as shamanism, because there's such a distinct idea of what shamanism is. Typically, we look at the, you know, South American or uh, maybe African tribes, or, you know, we'll, we'll look at um, even North American Native Indigenous tribes. And there's, there's a, a lot of ideas of shamanism having to do solely with entheogens, uh, which is not necessarily true. Um, even though that is that is a large part of um, of many of the the different forms of shamanism that I've studied, but basically this film that I'm getting into is nothing more than just an exploration of art and how art can actually inspire the mind through energy. And you know, I mean, I understand that might sound like a little confusing because I mean, it even sounds confusing to me without understanding that when we watch a movie or when we watch a documentary, if we listen to a song, if we're reading a book. We're not just using our intellect. We're using the emotions. We're using our sex, you know. And by sex, I mean our instincts. Because um, in my work, and I'll get, I'll get into this uh, a little later, but in my work uh, that I'm going to be releasing in Australia, I actually um, am going to be speaking about the three different forms of communication because we speak and we listen with our intellect, but we also speak and listen separately with our emotions, and then also separately from those two with our um, with our motor instinctual or sexual center. And you, I mean, the easiest way to even look at that really is by just looking at a relationship when typically you'd see a a guy, you know, arguing with the intellect and and a girl, you know, arguing with the emotions. And then we've all seen people who, you know, argue or, or speak or communicate with their instincts or with their sex. You know, when you back someone into a corner and they just pretty much, you know, bark out some of the most horrid stuff you could imagine. Or if you're at a bar you could definitely see people talking with their sex. Like everybody at, at you know the bars, at least around in this area that uh, that I live in, central Pennsylvania, you go out to the bars. Everybody's speaking from their crotch. Nobody is is using their head or their emotions. And that's you know that's one uh, one big part of what I'm going to be speaking about as far as like the age of art, the inevitable age of art in Australia uh, coming up at the end of this month. But Basically, uh, getting back to what we were saying before, this next film is really getting into the how music and how visuals and animations and certain key words are actually used as talismans to evoke a certain type of energy in your body, whether it's coming from your instincts, your sex, or your emotions, or your intellect. Um, there, there's different forms of communication, but there's also different forms of listening. So this next film after the one that I'll be releasing in, in uh, June or July, the, the next film that I'll be beginning production on is going to largely be that form of shamanism, meaning really exploring the self through the senses. And, you know, th- there's a few limitations, obviously, because there's a few limitations let, uh, left out of film, but that's actually going to be taken care of uh, in some of the live events that we're going to be holding in Australia. Um, uh, New Zealand towards the end of the year. Uh, we're also going to be doing um, 
South America. You know, you know, basically the intent behind all of it is to reach deeper into where art comes from within the human organism. So if that's um, if that's a good enough explanation for that, because I, you know, mm-hmm. I understand it. it's it's kind of you know really not painting a good picture, but you know, as far as energetically, that's what the film is going to be based around. No, that actually sounds really interesting, and you know, that's it's actually one of the things that I'd always said that was a little bit different between the Zeitgeist movement and you know the stuff that you did in Esoteric Agenda and Climatica is that you do. I mean, it, it is esoteric. It is you know slightly in that direction. And we do have a lot of people in the Zeitgeist movement, for example, who do dabble with that that sort of mindset, and you know that's something that's absent, mostly because the Zeitgeist movement tends to be very atheist in its nature. But mm-hmm. it is made up of people from all different groups, and overall, I'd say that we have way more in common than we don't. So I'm sure that you're going to end up with people who are involved in the Zeitgeist movement that are still going to be interested in the work that you're doing, um, and so. Now, that we also, you know, obviously we, we, we moved the show so that more Australians could tune in, and I, I promoted this show everywhere I could uh, where Australians would see it, including We Are Change, uh, the Zeitgeist Movement, Venus Project, you know, just anywhere I could think of where people would be interested in seeing it, not to mention, obviously, your own Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because you're getting ready to go on a tour of Australia, so let's talk about that. Okay, yeah, at the end of this month, um, May 24th is when I'm leaving here. Um, I'll be arriving in Australia around the 26th and directly on the 27th, I'll be having my first talk in uh, Melbourne. And then on the 28th, I'll I'll also be speaking in Melbourne. 29th, I'll be speaking in Sydney. Um, And then June 4th, I'll have that week off the the Monday through Friday. And then that June 4th, uh, we'll be speaking in Brisbane. And then on... Uh, the very next day, the 5th, I'll be speaking in Byron Bay, which is the the first spot that I spoke uh, last time I was in Australia. And there's incredible people there. The energy there is unparalleled to anything I've ever felt. Um, the energy in Australia, just the the way people carry themselves, you know, even the way that the uh, the, the wildlife carries themselves out over there is different. And it's it's very direct and very intense that I've seen. They understand exactly... They they have almost like a natural pivot point within their heart that they that they speak from. They you know everything that they do comes from a certain amount of ethics that they have, and I really really appreciated that, which is why I love going over there. My good friend Max Egan uh, runs the uh, the Crow House website and also does his own radio show out there, and he is actually going to be emceeing the events, um, basically just you know showing his support. There's also Jason Gregory, uh, who just wrote a book, uh, The Way of the Weirdo, and he actually heads the the Hanged Man chapter out in Sydney. Um, So these events are going to be a lot more intimate. Uh, We're not going to be speaking to large, large crowds because I wanted to keep it, you know, quite a bit more intimate. And, you know, Jason agreed, as well as uh, Max and all the people at Veritas Magazine that that have been helping with uh, setting up this event. And... um, the the intimacy is there specifically because it's um it, it, for me specifically I just decided I I really wanted to walk the walk and not just always talk the talk when you know when I want to get out and speak with people I don't want to just speak and that's why I don't even call them talks that I'm doing in Australia it's really just events because I'm there to learn from them just as much as they would be there to learn from me and that's very important to understand that dynamic because that's the type of community that I speak of in, in all of my films, all of my radio interviews, everything I do. I've spoken of just the relationships that we have with people are far more important than those things in our lives that we, that we wish to acquire. So what, you know, when I'm out there, just having those intimate groups is going to be very good because I, I actually welcome a lot of feedback throughout the whole talk. And it's more or less in a conversation form. And I'll also be bringing uh, instruments and actually showing little um, experiments with the different senses, such as uh, incense, um, you know, musical instruments, things that create a certain amount of reson- uh, resonance, and actually use that as an experiment within the group to actually show how to recognize what the difference is between our ego and, you know, and our essence and our consciousness, just the bare-bones consciousness without ego, because there's a definite energy shift when you're conscious, you're in the moment, you're here, you're right now, you're present in the room, 
and when you're off somebody, you know, somewhere else. And that's kind of the the basic message of what the inevitable age of art is within these talks is understanding the art of really just speaking from what you choose to speak from. Now, you can speak through painting, you can speak through music, you can speak through your words and poetry, you can speak just intellectually if you, if you want, but these forms of communication, the reason why I, I entitled these uh, talks The Inevitable Age of Art is because I believe absolutely everything is art. And, you know, the way we compose ourselves in public, the way we hold ourselves, the way we speak with one another, the way that we choose to uh, relate to our loved ones and, and our enemies, all of those things are an art form. Politics is an art form. Every form of society you will find art, and also, in, you know, in economics. And the reason why I am harping on the word art is because the, um, the title being The Inevitable Age of Art is what I'm going to be speaking about as we are actually, we can look back through time and see cycles of history. And these cycles we look at very mathematically. So we look at them intellectually. We look at the numbers. We look at what year we had a cycle shift. We look at when the next one's going to be. And we look at it very intellectually. But understanding it also on a very motor, instinctual, sexual level and an emotional level, which you can't write down in a book. You have to actually experience those things understanding what we're actually moving into at this time. We have 7 billion people on the planet, and we've never seen this. This is, you know, what's going on on the planet is unprecedented, at least as far back as our documented history goes. So the inevitable age of art that I'm going to be speaking about is how you will actually find, and it's funny, I was actually even just, um, just before this, the TV was on, and American Idol was on, and Lady Gaga was on there. And she was just giving, she was giving a performance, and watching the way that she carried herself, watching the way that she engaged with the crowd, I found to be phenomenal. Regardless of whether you like her music, regardless of whether you like her as an individual or anything, as a performer, I see many similarities with shamanism as I do in the pop music uh, realm. Now, I'm not going to get into whether that's, um, you know, wh whether it's black or white magic or, you know, whether they're good intentions or, or not so good intentions. But what I notice when I see, specifically, you know, you look at uh, huge elaborate shows like when Madonna or a pop star like um, Britney Spears will actually perform, Christina Aguilera, all the major pop stars, if you watch their live performances, it is shamanism. Regardless of what the message or the intent behind it is, because it's normally sexual, uh, regardless of all that, they're speaking to you not through the intellect, but they are literally speaking to you through the sex most of the time and the emotions. Uh, good, you know, very good performers that understand the emotions. You can look at some of the, you know, the, the older artists such as the Tom Petty's, the Bruce Springsteen's, the Billy Joel's, the way they carry themselves, like Willie Nelson, the way he carries himself on stage, regard, again, regardless of whether you like the music or not, he is speaking to you from a from a specific point that is not the intellect, and that is what I speak about in the inevitable age of art. In these talks in Australia, is how to understand actually the language of not just the emotions, not just the sex, not just the intellect, but those very very subtle um, you know portions of ourselves that are are mainly driven by just energy, just residual energy of. You know, our thoughts create a certain electromagnetic signature in our body, and that energy is residual until we do something to counter it. And it's actually extremely scientific if you look at it that way. But when you look at it on an emotional sense, think of, you know, somebody says something to you or cuts you off from traffic, you know, and you, you could have had a chance to flip them off, but you didn't. Or you could have had a chance to tell somebody off, but you didn't. And you just swallowed that anger, and you swallowed all, all of that. What is actually being swallowed? It's not the intellect, and some, most of the times it's the emotions, but it also leads into the motor instinctual se uh, sector. Basically, what all of that means is the language of our emotions and the language of our sex is almost a slave to the energy that we set in motion through our thoughts, and that's kind of what I'll be speaking about in, uh, in Australia because that's the form of communication that I see politicians I see, you know, figureheads, bankers, lawyers, you know, p people who others may look up to um, for guidance or for leadership. The way they compose themselves in public is not, and you know, the way Barack Obama speaks, he's not just using his intellect. 
you know, it's, it's an act. And I'm not saying that in a negative sense either, but it's a performance in a sense. When you get up and you speak in front of people, when you sing in front of people, when you perform any type of art in front of people, when you communicate at all, you are performing in a sense. And what you are performing are basically the cornerstone or that core of who you are. So if you're unconscious, if you're not conscious of what you're saying and you're just blabbering on, you know, basically what that comes across as is somebody who is not conscious. It doesn't matter whether you use the, the correct words to say it. It doesn't matter, you know, how you present yourself. If you're coming across in a way that seems unconscious, it usually has to do with those subtle quirks that you notice in people's facial expressions, their body language, that, you know, if they're holding their hands too much, they're nervous. If they're looking up and to the left, it means one thing. Up and to the right, it means another. That's the type of communication that I, you know, that I'm at least trying to bring a better understanding that there are other forms of communication. Whether or not I understand them fully or not isn't even the point of it. It's bringing up the fact that the only way we can truly understand these forms of communication is not by listening to an interview. It's not by watching a documentary or reading a book. It's by shutting up and actually paying attention to what our instincts are telling us, what our emotions are telling us, and what our intellect is actually telling us at that time. Because if we're not aware of what they're telling us, then they just turn into this electrical, uh, electrical or electromagnetic circuit within us, and it's just a residual program that's going to keep repeating itself until we do something consciously to, uh, to stop that or to counter it. Well, you know, um, it's actually interesting that you bring this up because even from a scientific perspective, like the people along the lines of, like, say, for example, the Druids, uh, you know, different people who held that uh, sociological position within the group, the shaman, essentially, um, there was science to it. I mean, if you look at, uh, for example, a lot of the things that Druids were known for, uh, which is the reason the church went after them, um, was the herbalism, which absolutely works. Uh, my ex-wife is amazing at herbalism. She can make a remedy for virtually anything. Um, you know, th there was a lot of other science to what they were doing, the astronomy and knowledge that they had there. It was all science. It was just very primitive, at least in its perspective. And so, yes, there was a lot of esoteric stuff that maybe atheists wouldn't appreciate uh, that came out of that. But it, it would be really uh, incorrect thinking, in my opinion, to discount the fact that uh, the shamans, the druids, the you know witch doctors, whatever, were essentially the the scientists for their tribe. Um, and I definitely agree with you in regards to the way that people are communicated with and all of the semantics. You know, or actually somatic, I guess would be the word for it. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I had a friend, for example, who almost got involved in the church, and he went to the school that they sent ministers to. And he just kind of sat there in awe of the fact that they were teaching mind control tactics. You know, raise your voice when you when you inflect this. Wave your hands in this direction, and you know, to get this effect. Play this kind of music because it puts your you know audience in. I think it was the delta state. You know, um, you know they're they're fully aware of this, and so are politicians. You know, you go you talk to. You, know, you go to public speaking school, and, and they teach you how to project yourself in a way that creates a, a very powerful effect in those people listening. And it's not, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be magical. It's it's true that it works. You know, we've seen it. I mean, I I remember, for example, George Phillies, uh, one of the former libertarian candidates for president. He may run again, but you know, his first, he's kind of a, a I don't want to use the word geeky, but you know, he's he's a really smart guy. He's a professor of physics and such, and so and he's got glasses and he presented himself in his first debates as as looking like that as compared to the rest of the politicians that were on stage for the Libertarian Party and then uh, his speech at the uh, convention was amazing it was like he was a completely different human being and I asked him I was like how did you do that he's like I I took speech classes you know they they taught me how to do that and it's if you didn't know any better because remember science you know essentially equals magic for those people. You know, you'd think to yourself there was something esoteric going on, but the reality is it's just he understood somatics now. He understood how to project himself and, as you said, how to carry yourself. It means so much, you know, uh, when you're interacting. And, and being a stage performer myself, I've, I've definitely experienced that before. Um, and it, it is powerful if you know how to do it. I mean, and it's, it's not always a good thing either, obviously. You know, uh, Adolf Hitler was extremely good at it. 
Um, and he had people that uh, that aided him in doing that. He placed people strategically throughout a crowd, you know, to to cheer at the right moments to try to get everybody on board with whatever he was saying. And by the time he was finished, you were ready to do whatever he said. You know, um, musical performers like I remember Gene Simmons from Kiss was talking about this. He's like, he says, once you get up there, it and you achieve this level of stardom. He says the power is just ridiculous. He's like, I'm fully confident that in the right crowd, if I just turned and looked at everybody in the in the crowd and told them to kill somebody, they probably would. You know, depending on what level of frenzy they were at, it'd be harder for say. Kiss fans because their musical energy is very fun and happy right. and all that. But you know, I can think of some heavy metal guys, absolutely, that could probably make violence happen. You know, there's definitely an energy to music too. Like Guns N' Roses has a very angry energy. And uh, in the incident that happened with Paradise City, uh, the the video for Paradise City, the Guns N' Roses did. They were in England and like three or four people got killed, and they didn't do it on purpose. They weren't trying to make that happen. In fact, they didn't know about it or they would have left the stage. But the energy of Guns N' Roses music, particularly at that time, the Appetite for Destruction tour, was so angry that it just it had a serious impact on everybody in the crowd and nothing they could do would get everybody to calm down. And it just it, it, it incited a riot. And it wasn't intentional, it was just they didn't you know, they were just being themselves, but the but because of the the background that that band came from and the the music that you know that therefore they expressed because of it, you know that's how that was created. I mean, it, is that essentially the effects that you're talking about? Is everything that I just point out there relevant to what you mean? Well, I'll tell you what. That's I mean, you you brought up some very good uh, examples of it because if you if you look at it, I'll just give my you know like you know my my personal humble on insight on this. As far as religion goes, I believe religion is a very worn-out, tired word because that's something that comes from the old world, a way to explain things from the old world. Now, when we look at things today, the, the knowledge is, of science is evolving so rapidly, whereas the, the knowledge of relig uh, religion, in a sense, at least what the edifice of religion is, is at a standstill. So when you look at a shaman... What a shaman, I mean, I'll be very blunt. I believe that absolutely everything we experience in life is a form of magic because I believe magic is nothing more than the creation of something that wasn't there before. We can do that out of thin air. Now, I don't really, you know, like get into, you know, talking about like how do people perform certain things in the visual or in the third, uh, in the third dimension. How do people perform those types of magic tricks? I don't even really care about that because to me, I try to only root what I believe in in something that I've experienced before. I don't care whether, you know, if if I say that I believe something that I read in the Bible, that shouldn't necessarily mean that I'm a Christian. Or if I say that I believe something that I read in the Vedas, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a Hindu, you know, and so on and so forth. The same goes for black magic, white magic, uh, witchcraft, all of that. What I believe that we are is nothing more than electromagnetic expression of emotions, of intellect, of sex that's trying to get through in a physical form because if you were to actually look at a higher dimension where there wouldn't be the, the, the spatial relation that we're talking about, that, you know, that we experience uh, every single day, if you remove that spatial relation, then magic is nothing more than energy you, working with other energies to create new energies. Now, if you look at even in the physical world, Think of how amazing and incredible, and as trite and cliche as it sounds, think of how amazing and incredible it is that humans can bring life onto this planet through an act. You know, an act that we are allowed to do at any given time. We can bring a form of consciousness, a being, into existence in this dimension. I think that's something that is not very, you know, it, it's not looked upon with as much awe as I believe it is, uh, is deserved of it because if you think about that, that is nothing more than a physical representation of creatures of this earth using their opposing energies to create something new. And that is, I think, a very valuable lesson, um, specifically with shamanism, is not to try and get out all of the emotions and get out all of the junk that you don't want inside you. It's about looking at it and accepting the fact that you are that energy. When you spit vile at somebody, like you, you are angry and you are just going off with your emotions, that's not something that you should 
ignore, in a sense. That's something that we should accept about ourselves. Now, that also means let's not beat ourselves up over it because what energy are you giving yourself if you beat yourself up over saying something to your, your friends or your loved ones that you wish you wouldn't have said? The, you know, you're not your organism, your physical organism and your cells, the way that I show in Chimatica uh, and the way Bruce Lipton um, talks about in Chimatica, the way your cells respond to energy, they don't care why the energy is there. They don't care if you're beating yourself up or if somebody else is beating you up. All they know is that they're being beaten up. They're being abused emotionally, energetically, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Because as you go through the different densities of consciousness, that I would call it, the intellect, and then the emotion, and then into the uh, the sex, and in the sex is where we actually create in the third dimension, in the material world, that's where we create life. But we are also in that act, which in a sense you could call that magic. You know, creating in a specific ritual, you're creating a life. In the third dimension, you are giving something consciousness. That is something that science has been trying to do forever with technology. If you, if you understand it correctly, what that is, what that ritual is, is nothing more than the karma, in a sense, which, you know, I don't really use that. I try not to use that word um, because, to me, it's more or less just your electromagnetic signature, your state, your conscious state at any given time is your karma the energy flowing through you and the things that you've done in the past the energy that you set in motion in the past that you have not done anything with that to me is what karma is and that's just an electromagnetic signature in in a material form so when two people get together and they enter into that act that ritual sex if they do that at that time what they are actually passing from one to the other the the male is passing his karma, in a sense, his electromagnetic signature into the female. And the female is the one who houses that electromagnetic signature. And I actually get into the science of this because if you look at a sperm, what that is is the central nervous system in, in, in a very uh, literal way. Because if you think about it, if you were to take not, you know, and we're not looking at the bones like the, you know, the spinal column and the skull, we're talking about just the fleshy part of it, you know, the 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 part that, actually is a conduit, acts as a conduit for that electromagnetic energy. Because our, our brain and our central column, our central nervous system, is nothing more than a physical vehicle for an electromagnetic signature. And that, that central nervous system is malleable. Basically, it evolves with our thoughts. It evolves with our emotions and with every single action. That electromagnetic signature with, uh, within us changes. So we are sending literally an electromagnetic signature or an impulse into the female to create a new form, a new life that's going to take on a lot of those characteristics. And so that right there is, is a part and parcel to the art that I'm actually talking about. So when I, when I speak of the inevitable age of art, I'm not necessarily talking about painting or sculpting or singing or something in, in that physical representation of communication, but just the creation of absolutely anything, which you can see in sex. You can see it in the emotions, and you can see it in the intellect, too. And that is, in a sense, why I try to focus on those three forms of communication as being the forms of communication that any artist would really focus on. Because in movies, what's the purpose for putting music behind a sad scene? It's to tug on those heartstrings. It's to add to that art. It's to add to that emotion, that signature that we can latch on to. And that there's a reason why some people like comedies, some people like chick flicks, some people like the very dark movies, some people like horror movies, because we relate to a certain emotional, instinctual, and intellectual message that's being represented in that film or in that song or in that book. And that's the form of communication that, it to me is magic in a way because it, it would have been looked at as magic without an understanding of it because, you know, a very, you know, rudimentary, you know, person with very rudimentary, you know, understanding of how these talismans, these colors, these noises, how they affect us, they would watch a movie and they'd be like, oh, my God, I don't understand why every time I watch The Land Before Time, I, I cry like a little baby. To me, that's because what's being expressed isn't just expressing itself to the intellect. It's expressing itself to the heart. It's expressing itself to the sex. Why do you think porn is such a huge industry? Because it's speaking directly to 
one portion of our uh, communication, which is the sex. You know, and, and we know we behave differently when our sex is speaking. We behave differently when our emotions are speaking, and we behave completely different when our intellect is speaking in and of themselves. But this is the reason why I love getting into and actually reading the philosophies of a lot of, you know, religious figures, um, just plain old philosophers, and even just scientists. If you look at that, what they say is to focus your energy is to focus your communication. If you focus your sex, if you focus your emotions and your intellect on the same thing, no wonder it's going to get done the quickest, you know, the quickest and most efficient out of any other way of communicating it because you are focusing all of your consciousness on creating this form of communication. I want sleep, I want food, and I want sex. You know, those you know, very fundamental things. When humanity, when humans want sex, they'll find a way to get sex. The same with emotions. If people just want, if people are feeling lonely and they don't understand that they're always in the best company of themselves, what they'll do is they'll try and attach themselves to other people to, to, in a sense, leech off of that energy, make themselves feel better by using the energy of somebody else. It's the same with the intellect and it's the same with the sex. And that's the form of communication that, that I'm trying to stress because when I go to Australia, when, I, when I'm going uh, to be speaking in Australia on the East Coast, basically what I'm going to be uh, doing is communicating in all three forms, instinctual, emotional and intellectual with as many different um, ways to actually touch the senses. Uh, you know, I, I spoke that of the, the incense that's going to be involved, the actual uh, noises and the different experimental sounds and vibrations that actually evoke something within the physical organism because 2,000 years ago, the way that uh, McDonald's promotes their music with their little jingles and with their colors and, you know, showing, you know, better looking people or people that fit a certain profile in their, um, in the commercials, that 2,000 years ago wouldn't have been understood as anything except for, you know, they wouldn't have called it propaganda. They would have called it magic. You know, why right. is it every single time I see those golden arches, I want a Big Mac or not a Big Mac. I, um, I don't even know, you know, who sells Big Macs. Is that Burger King? Uh, yeah, the Whopper. McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. King's got the it, it, It's all the same. They all, you know, all their meat and you know everything comes from the same place anyway. So like, but basically what I'm saying is, 2,000 years ago, all of that would have been looked at as a form of magic or a form of mind trickery or something along those lines that speak to different portions of ourselves, not just our our intellect. Because when we call ourselves intelligent, most people are speaking about their intellect. They're not speaking about their emotions. They're not speaking about their, uh, their motor instinctual sexual center. So when, and a very good representation of this is ask anyone in, you know, that's close to you, you know, friends, family, whoever, where, do, if they can understand the, the nature of this question, ask them, where do they believe that they're, who they are, their I, their, their soul, who they speak from, where they live from, most people will say they feel their consciousness in or around their head. And most of the time, people say that they feel their consciousness in their eyes because people are very, very finely tuned. Their consciousness is finely tuned to their eyes and finely tuned to some people are more, auto, uh, you know, like uh, into um, learning through, uh, through the auditory senses. So those people actually feel their consciousness closest, closer to their ears. But imagine when... You, you hear some horrible news over the phone, where does all of your energy sink into? Like straight into the gut, straight into the yeah. heart, into that, into that general uh, area because that is where, around the heart is where the emotion, the emotional energy focuses itself. Around the sex, obviously, is at the base of the spinal column. So we see this trinity, you know, the base of the spinal column holds the sexual energy. The center, the magnetic center towards the heart um, if you look at it as kind of like a light spectrum that, you know, it, there's not delineated lines saying this is where the sex ends and this is where the emotion starts and this is where the intellect starts. It's more of like an electromagnetic spectrum or a light spectrum, but emotions center around the center of the chest. And then when you move up into the intellect, most people feel that they are in their head. They're, 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 they feel their consciousness, their eye, their ego, everything. They feel it around the intellect, which is in the eyes or the, the ears or the head in some way, shape, or form. You know, we so, definitely see that in people's perception, too. Like, you know, if 
when you see, like, say, for example, like a robot or something, you'll tend to believe that if you shoot it in the head that it'll die. You mm-hmm. know, it'll cease to function. Just instinctually, you get that idea, even though there could be nothing up there. It, you know, it could just be, you know, totally uh, exterior, you know. And I also wanted to say I definitely agree with your, your uh, assessment of music being powerful for, you know, bringing about creative thinking and especially when you consider that shamanism employs all of that anyway to help get people into certain states when i'm writing when i'm writing my fiction i usually listen to apocalyptica um because it covers the energies that i'm trying to achieve in fact i've long thought about this if my if my comic book ever became a, a tv series i would want apocalyptica to be the the soundtrack for sure you know and in some cases especially when i'm trying to meditate on a scene that I want to write about, I'll listen to a specific song. Like there's this one scene I was writing um, about basically this girl's boyfriend gets killed and she's just destroyed over it. So, uh, you know, the song's called In Memoriam. um, And it's just this really, really powerful uh, cello um, ballad that then breaks into something really angry and violent and then goes back to being really sad and then ends. Um, and, and so it's, I don't think people recognize that, that that kind of comes back to the, what we were talking about earlier about how, like you said about the McDonald's thing, that's actually really a profound point, you know, that I don't think people recognize is that when people were known to be mystics or whatever in, in the past, like, you know, the Rasputins or, you know, I keep coming back to the Druids and the shamans, like the idea that somebody might be under your spell, when you look at the way cult leaders, you know, operate now, you know, if you took to somebody like that back in those days, it would have been the same thing. And then I keep coming back to this episode, but my favorite episode of V Radio, there were a lot of people, uh, it was called on the subject of sheeple. There were a lot of people under Barack Obama's spell. I mean, they had people passing out, you know, during his rallies. And, you know, I mean, it, it was all the same kind of stuff that you would expect to see out of something magical. We don't think of it in that direction, of course. We have to remember, though, that the concept of magic came from a time period in which the the concept of science didn't exist yet, you know, and so it doesn't mean that everything that those people came up with would suddenly no longer be valuable, because obviously a lot of it is, you know, it still goes on today. When I studied uh, the the stuff the Druids did, they they studied animals, but not because they were worshipping animals or because they thought animals were superior to man, but because through studying the social uh, habits of animals they got to understand the most basic elements of human behavior that people tend to ignore that people tend to not be aware of and when you watch an animal do it it allows you to to uh, see it from the outside in so to speak you know you see a pack of animals and they're going at it then you're th- then you you can compare it to human behavior then you think to yourself you know how much how powerful would it make you in you know say the middle ages or the dark ages even to have, a, you know, inherent knowledge of human psychology. How powerful mm-hmm. a figure would that make you? You know, and instead, nowadays, what ends up happening is is that obviously everybody has a little bit of knowledge of psychology, so they have to be much more creative in their ways of hiding this stuff, you know, of hiding it underneath everything. And that's, you know, a, a, we keep coming, you know, like you said, politicians. The subject of Sheeple episode was I played a recording of this guy walking around with a microphone on a Florida beach asking everybody who they voted for in the Florida primary and why. And the answers these people were giving were just totally shallow. In many cases, they didn't know anything about the candidate they voted for, like policies or what he would want to do. Like one of the guys in particular, I I brought this up again last night on my show with uh, the guy wanted to vote for Barack Obama, and he's like, so why do you want to vote for Barack Obama? He's like, I think I need change. You know, he, and he couldn't articulate what Barack Obama intended to change. I mean, for all the guy knew, he could have been wanting to change the United States to a fascist country. But he knew he wanted to vote for him, and he was very enthusiastic about this person who he didn't really know anything about. You know, it's it's almost like everybody's under a spell, so to speak. You know, um and even absent any understanding of magic, you know, like you said, that that I, I keep coming back to that. It was a very powerful point about McDonald's and, you know, using the right colors and the right sounds and all of that. It, it's all the same thing. It's just a more primitive word for it. Well, absolutely. And that's why, I mean, when it comes to language and using specific words, you know, such as, 
you know, I mean, specifically nowadays, when you say the word God, very specific, vivid things comes, come to our mind, but that's different from every single person. Like, every single person has a different opinion, or, I'm sorry, a different association with the word God, and religion, and science, and philosophy, and art, and absolutely every single word, because if you think about it, if, if we are nothing more than just this energy in an expressed three-dimensional form, a material form, then the way that we express our emotions sometimes isn't going to sound very logical. And when the logic, when the intellect tries to understand what the emotion is saying, let's say you know, you're, you're arguing with a girlfriend, and the girlfriend's speaking from the heart, and you're, you're listening with the intellect, no wonder it's, there's going to be a miscommunication there. Because the intellect is trying to communicate with somebody else's emotions, and it's not going to get anywhere because they're speaking in two different languages. When we're speaking out of emotion, we're using these words, and these words could initiate an, um, uh, an intellectual response, but the intent behind it is to, in some way, shape, or form, um, verbalize what's going on in an emotional sense which, as you can tell, could, possibly, could be much more difficult because we, we all know what we mean. We have Webster's Dictionary to tell us what each word means. But what does that mean when you're talking about emotions? What does is, what is the word you know, science evoke in your heart? What does the word God evoke in your heart? What type of associations? And I'm talking just electromagnetic associations, just neurological responses to the word God or science or, you know, religion or Hitler or things like Gandhi. What are those responses that we get in our mind? And in many ways, if you look at um, a lot of people who, um, specifically in the Hindu religion, and they have pictures of their guru on, you know, and when, when they're doing their meditations or uh, when they're, say, doing a, a kirtan or anything, they have pictures of their guru. And in many sense, uh, in, in a way that I look at that is, that is a reminder of a certain form of ethical platitude that we can work towards. Meaning, if you see something in somebody, like, I'm a, I'm a musician, and if I look at somebody like Matthew Bellamy from Muse, and say, I admire him because he, he has a great voice, he's a great musician, he is okay, he's fine with being quirky with his vocals, he's fine with experimenting, he's fine with going really soft, really heavy, really gritty. He, he knows how to express himself and hold himself on stage. That's something that I could aspire to, in a way. So the way that I look at that, so, you know, such as somebody as Matthew Bellamy, if I had a picture of him, and, and I'm using him as an example because I really do respect him as a musician, you know, Trent Reznor, the way he holds himself on stage is phenomenal. So when you, when you look at that, if you were to be reminded by a picture of Trent Reznor or Matthew Bellamy and say, oh, that's right, you know, am I giving it my all? It brings me back into now. Like, am I giving this my all? Am I actually in the moment? Am I actually feeling what my words are? Because that's what I got from Trent Reznor. That's what I got from Matthew Bellamy. Was they, they weren't just speaking intellectually, you know, because regardless of whether I relate to the lyrics or not, they, they are speaking to me in a completely different manner. That's what I respect. So when we're looking at it in a sense of, how do these words affect us? How, you know, words like God and philosophy and science, religion, art, things like gun, bomb, you know, things like that. They have very specific electromagnetic energy within our body, and it evokes a response. And that, to me, is the form of magic that we're, you know, that we're talking about. When Barack Obama says change, people react. When George Bush, uh, George W. Bush says terror, or, you know, as, as he would say, terror, you know, or um, al-Qaeda, or terrorism, or anything along those lines, what does that evoke? It's a talisman. It evokes a certain type of idea. So, you know, and, and we've all heard this, you know, our, our listeners, you know, are very familiar with this, but what I'm getting at with all of this is this, that also goes to the very root of our language, meaning if we're talking about our emotions, are we thinking about our emotions with our intellect? Because that's completely different. That's removing ourselves from it. To actually speak from our emotions, you actually have to, you'll know when you're speaking directly from your heart. You also know when you're speaking directly from your sex, when you're speaking directly from your instincts. When somebody, you know, like, 
you know, insults you and the first thing you do is jump into a defense mechanism and you fire right back at them instinctually, that is you talking from your sex, from the base of your spine, from that energy. Regardless of where it's even located in the body, when you respond in a certain way, if you pay attention to it, you can understand where you are coming from, even if it doesn't make logical sense. Like, you know, you can look back at a conversation you had yesterday and it's like, why did I say that? I was acting so goofy and then I just said that and it was so embarrassing. It didn't even make sense. Why did I say that? It's because your intellect wasn't talking. It was something else that was talking at that time. And then you may have jumped directly into your intellect and gotten embarrassed by it because you're like, oh, my God, I didn't express that right. And that's the, that's the shift from your consciousness going from one energy to a completely different energy. And that is, again, if we know how to harness all those forms of communication, the instinctual, the emotional, and the, uh, the intellectual, then we'll actually know how to truly get stuff done. And that's when things begin to look like magic. Synchronicities begin to show up. Our life begins to almost fall into a certain pattern that we are making it happen. The, you know, the things that come to us in our lives, they don't seem like they're just random or by chance anymore. But you wouldn't know this until you actually give it a chance. You have... I don't want to say faith because, again, that word has a very strong response to it. But if you actually really do pay attention to how you are using your energy, you will see a direct scientific reflection even of your creation. If you say a certain word, if you act a certain way, if you do a certain thing, there is going to be a response. There's going to be a reaction, and that reaction is your creation. And that is, again, why you see gurus not trying to give advice and keep you know, saying, this is how we should be living, this is what we should be doing. What they do is almost, in a sense, try and draw you in by disappearing and not saying anything, giving the most simple um, uh, poetic analogies or allegories in a way demands the person who's listening or the person who's watching that documentary or the person who's reading that book, it demands for that person to put themselves energetically, emotionally, sexually, intellectually into it. Because if you say it too vividly, if the Bible would have said exactly you know, what was going on at that time, it wouldn't have reached our emotions. If the, you know, the Vedas, if they weren't speaking of things the, way, the poetic way that they spoke of it, maybe we wouldn't understand it. Because if they would have just said it intellectually, that's leaving out two different forms of communication that humanity was endowed with. You know, so that's one thing that I see why I'm very, very, very lenient, and I absolutely love going back into scriptures, not meaning that, you know, like I'm following some religious path or I'm following in, in, in the lines of, you know, the, the edifice of Christianity or Hinduism or anything along those lines. Looking back at them and understanding what the individuals, the humans that wrote those texts, what were they feeling at that time? Did they feel that when there was those floods, when there was uh, catastrophes, when war was ravaging their hometown, did they feel that their intellect was a good enough way to represent all that was going on in those times? I doubt it. I think that they needed to add that poetry that spoke to the heart. They needed to add those choice words that speak to the instincts. They needed to add that. They needed to make it bigger than life. They needed, um, you know... Uh, Moses to split the Red Sea. They needed these things. And there are if, different occult analogies and allegories behind all of these things that I'm speaking of. And I'm not just saying they're all random stories. But what I mean is when we look back on it, try and be a little bit more open to anything. If you, if you are an atheist, try and be at least a little bit open to things that you may not have wanted to be open to in the past. And I'm not saying try to become religious. And if you're religious, I'm not saying try to become atheist. What I'm saying is Understand. Understand that. Yes. No, no, go ahead. Finish what well, you were saying. I, I'll just finish this. Yeah. Basically, just understand that the hanged man hangs upside down and watches the world upside down inverted for a very specific reason. Because it's not challenging other people to look at things differently. The hanged man is challenging himself to look at the world differently. And I think that's a very valuable uh, you know, resource, a very valuable virtue in our day. Well, Ben, as always, it was great having you on. Um, you know, and I look forward to having you on again in the future. We're down to the last minute of the show. Um, give them the URL of your website again. It's www.hangedmanproject.com or www.talismanicidols.org. Um, and uh, please get a hold of me at talismanicidols at gmail.com. 
uh, for absolutely anything. I'll be in Australia at the end of this month and releasing a film next month. Any questions, I'm you know fully open to answering. Well, um, and one little piece of news. I did get a hold of uh, one of the people in charge of the Zeitgeist, uh, upcoming Zeitgeist Media Festival, um, and she's interested in talking to you about the possibility of your band performing. So I look That's forward great. to that developing, and I'll talk to you a little bit about it off the air. Thanks again for everybody for tuning in. Please go to vhyperadio.org and consider a donation for support of the work that I do. And don't forget to go to the links section where you can find links to a lot of other great stuff. Take care, folks. I'm going to leave you with some words from Jock Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jock Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.